said last week, and maybe you saw on social media, we are starting a, a study in the book of Romans, okay? Last week, we just gave an introductory to what Romans is. We covered the first 17 verses or so, but a lot of that was just introduction um, about who wrote Romans, who received the book of Romans, because the book of Romans was a letter to the church in Rome. Yes, very good. So it's to the church in Rome, and we talked about some of the difficulties. Who wrote the book of Romans? Paul. Yes, Paul wrote the book of Romans, and it wasn't a book when Paul wrote it. It was a letter to the church. It was a letter, and in it had instructions, and we're going to be studying the book of Romans verse by verse because there's so much truth to it, and they would study it. They would read this in their church gatherings all the time, you know, like for like until it was done. But chances are they read it all the way through, like all, you know, upteen chapters in Romans. They read through the whole thing and because it was a letter to them. But we're going to obviously break it down little parts, and I'm going to sermonize it and unpack it and critique it and all this stuff. Not critique it, but talk about it so we understand it. I'm not going to critique God's word. Don't strike me dead. Um, but today's passage is interesting because we talked about Romans in verse 17 last week. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And a lot of Romans explains the gospel. Okay? And one of my goals here for Jericho Road Church, if, you, if you're a partner here, is that everybody here could explain the gospel. If anybody asks you and comes up to you and says, uh, Steve, what's the gospel? You'll be able to explain that. In a simple form or a complex form, but in some way you'll be able to, know to explain the gospel, okay? And here's the gospel in a nutshell. If you want to know the gospel, look at John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Amen? So the gospel is this, and I have it this, is number one, first part of the gospel is we are all sinful. We are all sinful. We're all born sinners We've all sinned, as it says later on in the book of Romans, we've all sinned and fallen short. There's not one perfect. So we've all screwed up. Nobody's better than anybody else. We've all screwed up. But Jesus pray, paid the price for our sin on the cross. And by his shed blood, his perfect sinless sacrifice, he made a way for us to go to heaven. Jesus dying on the cross and then going to the tomb and raising again is the gospel. And that's, the, if you look up the word gospel, the gospel means what? Who can tell me what gospel means? It means good news. It's good news. It's um, when they told people, like, that we say gospel, but they say, I have good news. I have good news. The good news is this. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. That's the bad news. And you're going to hell. That's also the bad news. But the good news is, is that Jesus was perfect. He was God's son, died on the cross, went up to heaven. And so we have to put our faith in him, make him Lord of our life, and we'll be saved. That's all. That's what you have to do. And so that's the gospel in a nutshell. The good, it's the good news that Jesus Christ died for us. But a lot of times, people don't realize they need a Savior because they don't really feel like they're a sinner. Would you guys agree with that? Many people, I don't care who, you go to death row, you talk to people, and they would say, I feel like I'm a pretty good person. I'm misunderstood. I made a mistake, but I'm a good person. And if I... If I go up to heaven, God will, God will let me in. I'm, a, I'm good. And it doesn't matter how good we are. It doesn't matter if you've never broken a law in your whole life. The Bible says that at one point or another, we've all broken God's law and we are all sinners. 
okay? And so this whole passage, Romans 18 through 23, and we're going to go down a little bit later, 18 through 30, the rest of Romans 1 is talking about sinful man. And it's talking about sinful man. So I believe Paul wants to stress our condition in our disease before he offers us our cure. Does that make sense? So, hey, Linda, you need a vaccine. I got a vaccine for you. Why don't you take it? And you're like, why do I need this? Well, I'm not going to tell you. Just take it. But if I explain to her why she needs this cure, she'll understand why. So that's kind of what today's about. It's talking about sin. And we're gonna, it's going to cover a lot. And it's going to talk about man's responsibility. So we're going to start off in Romans 1.18. If you have your Bibles, if you don't, you can look up here. I'm reading from the ESV. Um, so let's dive in. Verse 18. For the wrath of God, that's not a way you guys want to start your Sunday about learning about the wrath of God. So I'm sorry, but I'll make sense in a minute. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what, God, um, for, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So we look at created things and our mind says there's got to be a creator that created these created things. So they are without excuse. Everybody's without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile or futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they actually became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up. Now, I want to say that in, in the beginning of verse 24, that God gave them up, God gave them up, is said four times, three times, I think, actually three times in, this, in our text today. It says, God gave them up, God gave them up, God gave them up. And that's important for us to note, is God gave them up and what that means. And we'll talk about it. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged, that's another phrase that we're going to unpack a little bit, um, after 25, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, over and over again, it says God gave them up because they exchanged. God gave them up because they exchanged. They exchanged. Meaning us, or sinners, people that don't believe in God, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They brought back to Lowe's the truth of God, and they got a 99-cent tape measure. All right? Like they just, they exchanged what was good for what was sinful. They exchanged what was true for a lie, okay? And so exchanged and God gave them up are two important things if you're taking notes. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and then they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So that's the first part of our text. We have a whole other text to get into a little bit later, but I want to explain this first part. Um, <clears throat> so in our lives, and you guys might know folks, I know folks, there are people who believe in Jesus. There's people who believe in the God of the Bible. And then there's people who don't believe in God. Um, they have names that they give themselves. Um, atheists. Um, atheists could be one. 
or, um, you know, whatever, deist or whatever, atheist is a, is a big one. Um, they don't believe in God, or maybe they believe in a false God. But what it says here is they suppress the truth. Well, they suppress the truth. And you know what suppress means? It's like you just stuff it down, like you suppress the truth. You don't want the truth to come out. But it says here in this verse that they saw the truth. The truth was made clear to them in every way, right? It was made clear to them. But they said, la, you know, right? I, I can't hear you. I, I can't hear you, God. And what they do is they suppress the truth. And they can only do this. I can't hear you. I can't see you, God. I don't want, you don't exist. You don't exist, God. They can only do that for so long before, as this verse said, their hearts become darkened. Their hearts become darkened. And my theory is behind that, and that text we just read is, if you do this to God and close your eyes so long, your heart becomes darker where you don't have to do this, you don't have to close your eyes, you're going to believe that lie that you've told yourself. Okay? Um, they saw the truth and ignored it. So there's two types of revelation we learn about, okay? And this is, might get technical, but there's two types of revelation of God. There is what's called natural revelation, and then there's what's called special revelation, okay? Natural revelation is everything you see out in na nature. Any hunters here? Any hunters like to just go out and, you know, hunt? Sorry, any vegetarians here? No, I'm just kidding. Um, sorry to offend you. Um, but anybody who goes out in nature and just looks at God's creation, if you go on the shores of Lake Michigan and look out as far as you can, something in our hearts are hardwired to be like, God is awesome. If you look at the Rocky Mountains, you just say, man, God is awesome. Doctors who study in med school the way that the human circulatory system works and the way the eye works, and they're like, oh my gosh, there's a creator that created us with an intelligent design. Like, you gotta, you gotta be blind not to see that, right? Like, you can eat food. God created us, so we put food in here, and then our body takes all the nutrition out to sustain us and then expels the rest, which I won't explain. But we are created with this machine of a body that just does all the work for us. And you can't say that it just, it just happened. There, it's like our hearts are crying out that there's a designer. Look at the way we're made. And so go back to verse 20. We'll see on the screen. It says this. For the invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. They're, they don't have an excuse. So natural revelation shows you that there's a God. And then special revelation is the Bible and Jesus coming to earth. That's special revelation. It's like we actually have that. So the natural revelation can't save us, but it can make us responsible, right? And the, the natural revelation, like looking up at the stars and being like, oh man, there's a creator, that should drive us to the special revelation of God. Like the word of God, um, Jesus coming, and all that stuff. So, and it should drive us. So they're, what they're saying is, you see all this? They're without excuse. And so they are responsible as they stand before God because he's shown them. And so I'm coming to the first of many R's I put together for you this morning. I kind of feel like a real Baptist pastor today, even though we're not Baptists. But I have like seven R's, all right? And so the first R, the last four I'll go through really quick. So I promise you're not going to be here all day. Children's ministry workers, you'll get to your Dr. Rolfs. But the first R is this, in this passage. They rejected God. They rejected God. Okay, it's the first R. They saw all the creation that it's designed 
not by accidents, and their hearts crying out that there is a God. Their hearts are crying out, there is a God, there is a God. And they suppress the truth. They did not honor him or give him thanks. And so they ignored the natural revelation of God. What's the result? Their thinking became futile, and their hearts became foolish and darkened. Claiming to be wise, they actually became fools. So many scholars today, they th- I would say that they think they're wise, or the world says they're wise, but when you look at what they're saying, it's actually pretty foolish, and sometimes it takes a little child to be like, that's really foolish. That's really foolish to think that. Um, now, what do I mean by that? Um, you could look, I don't want to get into the whole creation of the world, but, you know, we believe that God created the world in seven literal days, according to the book of Genesis. It's clear that God created the world as a designer, but in what we're taught, what we teach our kids is that out in outer space, this is how the world started, out in outer space, this explosion happened. And out of that explosion, all these beautiful things came about. You know, the earth came about, animals, like all these things came about from an explosion. I don't know if y'all ever seen an explosion. Have you ever seen anything beautiful come out of an explosion? You know what I mean? And like things happen, well, you got to think, it was billions and billions and billions of years, and then beautiful things. I mean, I'm not going to get into this whole, like, debate about this, but an explosion doesn't create beautiful things. God does. And so we tell ourselves it's that. But you look at all the created things around us, the ecosystems, how animals, like, you know, produce and how crops are made and photosynthesis and how we're made. You look at all that and you say, it's just random. It's just by accident. There is no creator. That's all an accident. But it's the same way, and not even as worse, to say this. Let's say you're walking and through the woods and you walk into a house, you know, an abandoned house. You, you walk in, you see that there's a kitchen, you see that there's a bathroom, you see that there's a master bath. Not one person here is going to say, I believe that two trees like fell on each other and this all just kind of happened. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Two trees like fell at the same time and boom, you had a nice kitchen island right there <laughs> with a sink. And then you had like a master bath with a faucet. Like when we look at a house... And we see, like, the master bath, and we see, like, a bathroom and how it's all worked, and the, it's laid out with the fireplace. Our heart's saying, and logic tells us, there is a creator, a designer of this house, right? There's a designer of this house. Somebody built this house. But yet, when we look at earth, see God's awesome creation and how it all works together, and we say, no, no designer, this is all accident. This is all accident. There's no, there's no real beauty here. This is all just happened by happenstance. And so what that is is suppressing the truth and really becoming foolish and denying any creator. And that's what it says here. And it says here their hearts become darkened. They exchanged the truth. In verse 25, again, we'll read that. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So it says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. The second R is... Um, they redirected their worship. They redirected their worship. So they rejected God, and they redirected their worship. What do I mean by that? Since we are all created by God, we are all made to worship. Believe it or not, we are all made to, like, bow down to something bigger than us. That's the way God created us. Adam and Eve worshiped God. You know, we are made to worship. Now, I say that is because if you exchange God for a lie, you still are a creature of God, like you're still made with this innate ability to worship, and so we are made to worship, so we're going to find something to worship, okay? Now follow with me here. If you deny God, or if anybody out there denies God, they're still going to worship something. 
they're still going to worship something. They're still going to be obsessed with something. And he said idols or creepy things, or he also said images of mortal man. And that comes a lot, if you remember the book of Daniel, where King Nebuchadnezzar set up a statue of himself and said, I'm God, worship me. And then everybody in the kingdom, Babylon kingdom, worshiped the statue of a man, right? Or in Exodus, they worshiped the golden calf, right? Our God is now a cow, and we're going to worship the cow. The cow brings life. It brings milk, and it also brings food, and we're going to worship this cow. Follow with me? So what it's saying is, is that we all have a throne in our lives. We all have a throne. And when you become a Christian, what you do is, you take anything off of the throne of your life, and you put God on the throne, right? You put God on the throne. It might not come easy at first. That's okay. But you're saying, God's now my God. What he says goes. He makes the rules. I'm going to worship him. He's a good, good father. Good thing my mic wasn't on, all right? So I'm going to worship God. We come to church to worship God. You worship God in your own time by saying, thank you, God. You're awesome. We worship God by reading your Bibles and praying. But people who don't worship God, something still sits on this throne. I don't know what it is. You know what it is for you, what, what it was for you before you are a Christian. For some people, um, money sits on this. Easy one. Some people worship money. They sacrifice their family time for it. They sacrifice their, you know, their marriages. And money is the almighty king, and it sits on the throne. Okay? Some people, it's not that. It's approval of others. Other people sit on this throne. What other people say, go, I'm a people pleaser, I'm going to please other people. Okay? The love of somebody sits on this throne. The biggest problem is, is when um, people get married and God isn't on the throne, what, you know what they do? They put their spouse on this throne. They, and that is the worst thing for marriages, if you put your spouse on this throne. You know what I mean? You know, Mike and Becky, for Becky, let's just say Mike's on this throne, and he's God, and she loves him, serves him. One day he's going to screw up, right? We're not perfect. And she's going to be obsessed and smothered, and it's just not going to work out right. But what happens most of all, like they said here, is many times we put ourselves on the throne. That's the one thing we need to realize. So if God's not on the throne, I'm on the throne of my own life, and so I'm sitting here, I'm in charge of my kingdom, I make the rules, and it's all about me. I want to, it's all about me and my kingdom. What makes me happy? I'm not happy anymore. And so we're very self-serving people, and we end up worshiping ourselves, right? And God's saying, and we'll talk about this in a minute, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me daily. He's saying because oftentimes, even as Christians, we kick God off the throne, and we take the place back for ourselves. I'm not comfortable. I'm not this. And God's saying, you got to deny yourself. That's what being a Christian's about. Um, and so we redirect our worship. And oftentimes we worship ourselves. Um, and that's not good. And as you look at the world, if you look at the world, it's filled with self-worship. You know what I mean? Have it your way. If you're not happy, go get happy. You know what I mean? Like it's very much self-serving. So okay, they rejected God. They redirected their worship. Now we're going to go on to this next portion. Okay? Now this next portion for some of us might be really heavy. And, and I'll not joke through it, and I really wrote down what I pr prayed about, what I thought about, because it talks about this issue of um, homosexuality. And if, if anybody studies the Bible and knows Romans 1, it talks about, um, talks about this sensitive issue. You know what I mean? And I want to be sensitive with it. 
But studying the book of Romans, I don't want to skip this verse either. You know what I mean? Like skip it and like, oh, okay, let's not get into anything. Like <laughs> it talks about it here, so we'll talk about it. So let's look at Romans 1, 26 to 31. So they rejected God. They redirected the worship. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up. It's a second gave them up. Two dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged. Exchanged again. God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men, likewise, gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for other men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up, the third and final gave them up, to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, they were full of, and here's a laundry list of sins. They were full of envy, jealousy. They were full of murder, strife, um, deceit, lies, maliciousness, evil intentions. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of new ways of evil. That's kind of a good one that they just throw in there. Like they just created new ways of evil nobody's even heard of. Like, whoa, that's weird. Um, they invented new ways of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. I mean, my gosh, like he throws, all, he throws a laundry list of what happens when you reject God and, and worship something else. This whole, like all of this happens, all of this happens. And it's really a downward spiritual spiral. So they became ruthless. 32, though they know God's righteous decree or righteous law that those who practice such things deserve to die they not only do them but they give approval of others who practice them they give approval of others who practice them okay so that's the last part is though they knew god's law they did and that they were going to die from it they did it anyway but they also got other people to do it with them you know misery loves company sin loves company you you know you, you get other people to do it so i'm going to go back um when we read this whole passage and we see it talks about like women leaving their natural desire for women and men leaving what God intended for men and going to, or what God designed for women, they changed and became homosexual acts basically. We see that and then we go down and then we see this whole other list and then all we take away from that is like, this is about homosexuality, okay? Homosexuality isn't the whole point of this passage. It's talking about people exchanging the truth for a lie. And so it also says gossips. It also says slanderers. It also says people that disobedient to their parents. And it also says people that are jealous. And so jealous, gossip, slanders, homosexuals, it's all like lumped into one and people are like, focuses in on the one and forgets the rest. You know what I mean? And don't we do that as a church at times, okay? And so, but to talk about this, to wrap this up, to talk about this portion, um, I know what some of you are thinking, like, what's Pastor Jim going to say about homosexuality? What's he going to say? Some of y'all wish you just had a big old bag of popcorn. You're like, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to this. You know what I mean? <laughs> like the, okay, here it comes. You know, like, give it to him, Pastor. Um, and it's not something we talk about. 
Um, denominations have split over this issue. If you guys have followed like denominations, the United Methodist Church in a historic event just totally divided over this issue. And so now there's like two United Methodist Church, one that does gay marriages and has gay, openly gay pastors and one that doesn't. And so they split over this issue. Um, it's a hot issue right now. And it's just going to get hotter and, you know, we need to talk about it. Um, and for starters, there's a perceived battle going on between the LGBTQ community and the church. There's a perceived battle going on. And I don't like battles, and I don't think God likes battles or dying on hills that aren't that important. Or not that's not that important. God doesn't want us dying on hills that are totally separated from Jesus and his gospel. Okay, so there's a perceived battle going on between the LGBTQ community and the church. Um, the church and some churches have chosen to fight against this and make it their mission. And it's not our mission. Our mission is Jesus Christ and preaching his gospel. Amen. All right, that's our mission, first of all. And um, they say the church is after the LGBTQ and LGBTQ is after the church. And there's this, okay? And we see this. Where do we see it? Um, if there's a gay pride rally and you see a gay pride, you know, parade going on in Grand, you know, in Grand Rapids or whatever, you see churches out there. And you might see a church hold a sign that says, y'all going to hell, you know, this, you're going to hell, and it's like portraying this message, like burning hell sinners, you know, type of thing. And then you see on the other side, and I've seen it, I don't know if it's over here yet, but men in drag going into the public elementary schools teaching kids about reading. You know what I mean? Like, it's like story time in drag, and it's happening at um, libraries, where they bring, like, bring your kids, and they'll hear the story from a man dressed as a woman. And, and they say this is good. And they're coming after your children, church. So y'all got to fight against them. And, you know, LGBTQ, like, they're coming after you. So there has to be this battle right here. And it creates problems. Um, we need, as a church, to put the battle aside because it causes us to miss the point. And it causes us to focus on a sin and miss the fact that we're all sinners and ultimately we all need Jesus. In my heart, when this issue comes up, is this. Our mission as a church is not to go out there and find gay people and make them straight. Our mission is to go out there and find sinners and bring them to Jesus. That's, the, that's our mission. That's our goal. And when we become focused on one thing and ignore the rest, we miss the point. We miss the ball. And so what's the truth? You know, I, I want to give you guys truth. Is being gay a sin? I'm going to talk about this, and it's very important. And it's very important that we talk about this and get into details and get into a little bit of form. Because if I just breeze over this, I'm not doing anybody justice. My answer is yes and no. And now hear me out on this. There are men, and you can't deny this, there are men who genuinely have an attraction for other men. It's called same-sex attraction, okay? We call it same-sex attraction, women for women. They are in, we have to understand that we are all born with a sin nature, Right? We're all born with a sin nature. Before I came to Jesus, I did some pretty bad things. I did some things that, you know, I had desires for and whatever. I mean, we all made bad choices. We've all sinned. And so we're all born with a sin nature. So if someone, a young man, is at an age where he's attracted to the same gender, and he comes to us. He comes to the church. This has happened to me on a number of occasions as a pastor. A young man before the age of 18 even says, I'm attracted to other men. And what do you do? Oh, 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 I don't want to hear that. You know, you should like girls, man. Like, you're weird. You're like, it's a sin. You're a sinner. Um, that's not the reaction I like to have. But there's a couple reactions we could have. The first is this. 
is saying this, oh, you just want attention. Like, that's one thing we could say. That could be true for some people. I'm not saying it's not true for everybody. That you're just looking for attention, you're looking for something. That could be true for some people, and I'm not denying that. But it's not true in all cases. Some cases, it's a genuine attraction, okay? And so you might say, you're just making a bad choice. You're just being a sinner, you're making a bad choice, okay? Um, you should choose, like I'm using an example of a young man who's attracted to men. You should choose to be attracted to women. Come on, women are way hotter than guys. Like, what am I going to say? Like, pull a guy aside and be like, you know, you should be attracted to women. I'm attracted to women. Why aren't you? You know, aren't they beautiful? That's not the issue because I've talked to many men that were same-sex attracted that it doesn't work like that in their minds. It's not that they could just flip a switch. They would have done that in some cases. Um, and so you're like, well, what's the answer? Where do we go from here? Like, what, what do you do? Um, and so... Uh, I'll say all this to summarize. Um, attraction or a desire isn't a sin. It's what you do with that desire that's a sin. It's what you produce out of that that's a sin. Your sexual orientation isn't the chief issue here. It's what you do with it. Okay? And so I believe that the Bible teaches that all homosexual behavior or acts are a sin. Okay? Not what God intends. Now, I know for some of us and for some men, it's hard to hear, and I want you to hear me out. I've studied this issue. I've read books on this issue. I've looked at everything the Bible has to say in it. I've heard both arguments. And, you know, to come to the point where we're saying, like, God blesses us and it's good, it's just not there. Um, and so I believe the act or the actions are a sin, but somebody who has this orientation and they're struggling with it isn't a sin. And we need to care and love for those folks. Okay? Um, and so I believe, the, you know, I, I believe that. So you, you might say this, well, I'm gay. I'm same-sex attracted. So where do I go from here? Again, where do I go from here? I, I'm, I'm attracted. What do I do? So my question is this. Do you love Jesus and do you desire to follow him? That's the first question. And they say, yes, I love Jesus. Yes, I desire to follow him. Okay? And if that's your case, then I would... Look at Luke 9.23. Look at Luke 9.23. I put it up on the screen for you. Um, and, he, and Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. As we talked about denying yourself, this isn't easy for us to hear in our culture that says, Hey, if you feel this, go for it. If you feel like doing this, go for it. If you feel like doing this, go for it. Anybody tells you different is a mean, bigot, they're, they're just a jerk, they're, you know, whatever. But Jesus says for us Christians, we need to deny ourselves, follow him daily. And so, what does it mean to pick up your cross daily? It means that the Christian life is a struggle at times. It means that it's not always sunshine and rainbows. And if anybody told you to come to Jesus because this is the awesome, like, easy life, they, they sold you a lie. Jesus said it's a struggle at times. Jesus said it's, it's a struggle, it's, it's suffering, it's hard, and we got to pick up a cross daily. And... Um, so I go back to our conversation. We shouldn't demonize folks for having an orientation. Because if they desire to follow Jesus, their cross to bear is much heavier than, than yours. Think about that. Their cross to bear is heavier than yours. 
in a sense, sometimes God takes away their attraction and gives them attraction for the opposite gender. That happens. I can't promise that's going to happen for everybody because sometimes I haven't seen it. And sometimes I see men get married and they are attracted to both, but they choose to crucify that side and go out and they, they, you know, there's many things, but their cross to bear is heavy. So we as a church need to find a way to come around folks and love them and not become scared if they really truly do have an orientation. And, but let them know that being a Christian is not always easy. And it's hard. We shouldn't demonize them. We shouldn't cast them out. We, shouldn't, we should have love and bring them to Jesus most of all. Okay? Um, so I say all that. If you guys have questions, feel free to ask them afterwards. I'd be more than happy to sit with you guys and talk to. Um, so I'm going to go on a little bit and explain this last part. Okay? So he says this gave them up phrase three times. He gave them up in verse 24, verse 26, and 28 to impurity, to a dishonorable passions, to a debased mind. So God gave them up. And what's Paul saying here? Um, well, this whole section today is about God's wrath. Okay? What do you think of when you think of wrath? What would you think of if I said, you know, I went over to my dad's house and he just unleashed his wrath? <laughs> you would think, yeah, anger or more so like uncontrolled rage, right? Like I'm just uncontrolled rage. When it speaks about God's wrath, it's not uncontrolled rage. It's God's righteous judgment when it talks about God's wrath, okay? So think about that. It's not talking about his rage. It's talking about that. Um, so um, his wrath is him giving us up. And I want to demonstrate this, all right? I need a, I need a volunteer. Is there like a, a man that can come up here and you? Get up here, Phil. Get up here, Phil. I just saw you over there. Come on up. Give it up for Phil Clawson. All right. I got to show this illustration because I've prayed about this illustration so much, and this, this what God gave them up is what it's talking about, okay? Now, you can't, like, run away from me in this illustration. You just have to walk away from me, okay? All right. So in this illustration, I'm God, but I'm not really God. So, okay, I'll pick this up. Um, well, this is really hard. Okay. So in this illustration, I'm representing God, and Phil is representing people who walk away from God, okay? And Phil is going to walk that way. And so, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Come, just wait here, okay? So Phil is walking towards that sinful life, right? Like, I want to go do my own thing. God, I, I, wanna, I don't want to follow you right now. I want to go do my own thing. And so go. Sometimes God pulls us back. You know what I mean? And then you keep walking, keep walking. And sometimes God, like, pulls us back. And then he can pull us back all he wants. But God's wrath, what it's talking about here, is just letting go. Okay? Now you keep walking right towards that door. So God is saying, by give them up, I'm not saying I'm abandoning them. I'm saying I'm letting them abandon me for a purpose. He's only going to hold you back. Like, we have free will, right? All right, Phil, you, uh, you can sit. You can, yeah, yeah, you go there. You're all alone, yeah. Um, but does that make sense that he holds them back from doing whatever it is they want to do, and at some point God's wrath has showed that he's like, fine, I'm going to let you have it your way. Go try life for a while. Try to do that for a while. As parents, sometimes we have to do that for our children, and that's like the hardest thing to let our kids just go. Um, our adult kids, you know, I don't let my little kids go. Like, we still have rules up in the house. But adult kids, um, 
Sometimes God lets us go, and it's simply taking his hands off and let the willful rejection of himself, of himself produce its ugly results. What does this all mean? And my, my other R is they replace God's way for their own. So they rejected God. They replaced God's way for their own. When God lets go and he gives them up to what they want to do and lets them go off to that, that's considered God's judgment. That's considered God's judgment. And what his hope is, I believe from all I've seen, is he wants them to hit rock bottom at some point so they come back to him. Hitting rock bottom is sometimes what we need before we're going to turn back to God. And so um, the next, uh, so God holds back things for your good, but his wrath is giving you everything you desire in order to save you. There's this Old Testament verse that said, I struck my people so I could heal them. I struck them so I could heal them. And God is saying that sometimes he allows us to just be stupid and go our own way so we hit rock bottom and that we turn to him as our savior. And sometimes we need rock bottom. And some of you are like, yeah, but for my kids or my friend, rock bottom has lasted 15, 20 years. And it's no telling how long it's going to hit. And as somebody said, sometimes they hit the rocks too hard. And that's it. Sometimes they don't come back. But the, but the point is, one of the main points is this. God's wrath isn't killing you. It's giving you what you want. God's wrath is giving you what you want. So, be, you know, when you want something, particularly something sinful, and you're like, man, those people out there, like us Christians, we're living the boring life. Those people out there, man, they're living the good life. You know, I see a guy at work, different woman every Saturday night. Man, I envy that. He's getting what, you know. And God's saying, my wrath is what he's doing. That's my wrath in action. Him just living that wildlife, because that produces death. That produces destruction. That produces all sorts of spiritual illness and eventually leads to death. And so God's wrath is just giving you what you want, everything you want. And it's what it's talking about here in that verse is letting it go. And so he lets us hit rock bottom. And at times, then after the last part is we reaped our consequences. We reaped our consequences. Now, if I left the sermon there, that would be a pretty sad place to end it, right? <laughs> That's where Romans 1 ends. And we'll get into Romans 2 next Sunday. But I want to give you guys hope because I'm a hopeful guy. I'm a good guy. And I want to share with you guys good news. Because the gospel doesn't make sense if all we do is tell you what you're a sinner, but without sharing the good news. And the good news is this. Righteousness is still available. See, I got more R's for you guys, all right? <laughs> And I get a pastoral reward after this Sunday, all right? Because I had to dig deep for these, all right? And the last four came to me in the shower this morning. <laughs> Righteousness is still available, amen? It doesn't matter where you're at in the rock bottom spectrum or where you're at in, in like leaving God or walking away from God. Or even as Christians, right, we're still going to sin and make mistakes. What it talks about as Romans is that when you put your trust in Jesus... He makes you righteous and that you're a righteous person. And so when we go to heaven, God's not going to see all our sins stacked up against us. He's going to see us as perfectly perfect, righteous, white-robed Christian in heaven. Amen? That's the good news is we can be made righteous. All your sins are washed away and now you're a good person. 
Not because you did anything good, but because Jesus made you good. Amen? Okay, so how do they do that? They repent of their sins. Again, another R. Repent of their sins. So we can't just say, believe in Jesus and you're all good. The demons believe in Jesus and shudder. But God's saying, you have to repent of your sins, turn from your sins. Now, the word repent is a good word. It means turn around and walk the other direction. So it's like if you're going down Apple towards downtown, if you repent, you don't just change lanes and keep going in the same way. If you repent, you turn around and then you head towards Eggleston. You know what I mean? You don't go in the same direction. So in the case with Phil, in the case of going this way, repent means I'm turning my life around and I'm going after Jesus. So that's what, when we share the gospel, there is some repentance. Well, I don't want to repent. You know, I want to keep doing all this wrathful stuff. Like, well, you got to repent and give it all to Jesus. That's part of the gospel, repenting. The last one is resolve, or second to last one, resolve to follow Jesus. And then after you've been a Christian for a while, you are required to relay the message to others. And I finally got the last R in. All right. Resolve to follow Jesus. Is there one more up there? Did I not have it? The last one is relay the message to others. All right. Thank you. Um, and so there is hope. All of this sinful stuff, all of this wrath, all of this stuff, it comes to the point that righteousness is still available. As long as you're breathing, God's not done with you yet. Amen? The prodigal son went from the father's house. He went out. He lived his crazy life, blew his inheritance, ended up in the pig slop, eating old nasty watermelon rinds. And, and he said, why am I living like this? He hit rock bottom. He went back to the father. And what did the father do? He ran down the driveway with open arms and said, yes, my son is back. He gave him a hug and he welcomed him into his house. For anybody here who wants Jesus, he's always going to be waiting at the end of the driveway with his arms open to take you back. Amen? And it's, his forgiveness is always offered. His love is always offered. You're not just going to slip out of the Father's hands. It's not going to happen. But if you want to run away, if you want to reject him, he'll eventually let you. Let's pray. God, I thank you uh, for this word. Um, I thank you for what it means to us and how we're to live it out. Um, God, if we have friends or family that are hitting rock bottom, God, we pray for them. Keep being a light of Jesus to them. Lord, but if we feel like we are just going our own way and we're walking away from you, and maybe we are in danger of you just giving us up, meaning just letting us go our own way. Help us to not get that far. Help us to repent and turn towards you and walk towards you. Lord, I, I pray for anybody here who either struggles with same-sex attraction or maybe had at one time or, or still is. God, I pray for those folks. I pray that they don't feel like they can't follow you, that the church hates them, that I'm angry with them, any of that stuff, God. Lord, I pray that, that um, we care for those folks who are picking up their cross and desiring to follow you with their whole heart. Um, so I pray for all of, um, those folks that are with us today as well. God, I, I uh, lift up for all of us, God. I pray that this message encourages us that no matter how far we've gone, we could always come back to you. And to know that your wrath is just letting us have everything we want. And we don't want that. God, we want what you want. 
We want what you desire. We, we desire to follow you in every way. So God, I, I pray that as we unpack Romans, God, you continually build our faith and build our faith and build our knowledge of you so we can go out and relay the message to others. So I thank you, God, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said.